Welcome to our Fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society, and thank you for joining us. What follows this instruction is a video from our service on March 14th, 2021. A service entitled, The Arc of the Immoral Universe is Long and Bends Towards Injustice. In this video, you'll hear the reading and the reflection from our service. Following that, we hope that you'll join myself and Reverend Michael Crumpler for a lively discussion where we go deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week on Sundays, posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The likes, comments, shares, and subscribes help to spread forth Universalist media further. Thank you again for watching. We now begin with our reading. longtime member of Fourth U and your worship associate this morning. And I'd like to share a reading today, which is by Chris Hayes, the host of All In with Chris Hayes. It's entitled, The Idea That the Moral Universe Inherently Bends Towards Justice is Inspiring. It is also wrong. This concept also fits nicely with a more general story about American progress we like to tell ourselves. But this story and the analogy of the long, imperceptibly trending line of progress is wrong. It does not allow for what is perhaps the most significant feature of the story of racial justice in America, backlash and backwards movement. For 100 years, the high watermark of, of African-American political power and liberty was federal reconstruction policies in the decade following the Civil War. But what happened after reconstruction was a concerted effort of white supremacist terrorism, violence, and reaction that choked off equality and reasserted white rule in the South. The moral arc of the universe during this that time didn't just flatten, it actually bent in the other direction and sharply so. It wouldn't be the last time as we survey the empirical measure of racial integration and racial equality in the past half century. One can make the argument that what followed King's death was a period of backlash and retrenchment, perhaps less violent than what came after Reconstruction. But that unmistakably erased many of the gains of the movement that King helped lead. All of this is the result of a political movement that existed since the country's founding, whose power waxes and wanes, but endures, always endures. That is the movement to pressure to preserve American racial hierarchy and white supremacy. It has gone by different names at different times, but is, it has not ceased 
to alter the trajectory of American history. More apt, perhaps, than the metaphor of the moral arc is the idea that American life exists on a planet whose very gravity is white supremacy. It does not mean this obstacle can't be overcome, that we cannot build skyscrapers or launch ourselves into flight. But those are achievements, but, but those are achievements are only brought to fruition through sustained effort, organizing, intention, and struggle. Nothing bends towards justice without us bending it. The arc of the immoral universe is long, but it bends towards injustice fell on my mind early last week as I was contemplating what in the world am I going to preach next Sunday? As my mind and my stomach were balled up in knots about the political milieu of the previous week, the failure of the $15 minimum wage, the anti-democratic attacks on voting rights in 43 states. I think someone today, I heard some today, someone today count that there's been 250 pieces of legislation passed in just a couple weeks. The reduction in stimulus to households making less than 75,000 a year, the cliff-hanging vote tying up COVID relief, the rise in anti-Asian violence in America, the 500,000 benchmark of deaths to COVID-19, the realization that for every 10 whites who are vaccinated, only one black and brown person is vaccinated. Amid all this, what must I preach to the people of First Universal Society in the city of New York? The problem with guest preaching, and I do a lot of it, is that because you don't really know the people, you have to make some basic assumptions. You sort of have to imagine what it is that people, that the people you will preach to need to hear. You have to presume what folks know and what folks don't know. And in most cases, there's not a lot of time to really do research. The research required to reassure yourself that what you are saying is what is most needed. But if my presumptions are somewhere close to being correct, my guess is that as good progressives, the knots that are balled up in my stomach are the same as the knots that are balled up in yours. If I'm guessing correctly, you too don't know why on earth those who earn a minimum wage are forced to live below the poverty line. If my assumption is true, you too don't see how on earth the richest country in the history of the world has managed to lose 500,000 souls to COVID-19, the most per capita. As I contemplated what I might say, I had to imagine that you, like me, are deeply vexed by, the, by this monumental movement backwards and making it harder for people of color, specifically Black people, to participate in democracy. And if I am right about you sharing these intestinal knots, if you will, you, like me, are asking, where are we going? 
Are our lives getting better or are they getting worse? Is our country moving forward or backward? Are we moving towards freedom or back into bondage? That's when the spirit of justice reminded me of the epic quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And then almost immediately, another spirit, perhaps the spirit of reality, hit refresh and said, yes, and the arc of the immoral universe is long too. And it bends toward injustice. And just like that, I had my sermon. It was on March 31st, 1968, that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. cast this vision in his sermon at the National Cathedral in Washington, DC. It was called Remaining Awake Through a Great Revolution. Like most of you, I was quite familiar with the quote unattached to the sermon in which it was delivered. For if this were fourth Unitarian, instead of fourth universalist, I would not need to remind you that King is not the original source of the quote. But since this is fourth universalist, let me tell you, King is not the original source of the quote, but rather it was the Unitarian abolitionist minister, Theodore Parker, who wore it first in this sermon in 1853. Reverend, Parker's exact words were, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by experience of sight. I can divine it by conscious. And from what I see, I am sure it bends toward justice. Dare I say that while I actually like Parker's version better, they're both essentially saying the same thing. The universe will eventually get better over time. Parker speaking in a time of slavery and King speaking in a time of Jim Crow, each were deeply convinced that somehow life would get better for the black slave bound in chains by the evil of white supremacy in the 19th century and for the black free man bound by poverty and dehumanization of Jim Crow in the 20th century. Just as I imagine Reverend Parker's amazement at the advancement of justice in the years that separated him and King, I reckon King too would be amazed at the prophetic fulfillment of his words today, 53 years from 1968. All, almost, almost to the very weak. The view from on high is astounding. 1619, 1853, 1968, 2020. The arc is indeed, the arc has indeed been bent. But most of us don't get to see that view. Most of us get to experience life one decade at a time. We only get to a few election cycles. We only get to establish one career, maybe two, raise one family, maybe two, arrive at one, maybe two moral crossroads. 
For most of us, our segment of the arc is very, very short. The window of opportunity is but a crack. Which is why I say the arc of the immoral universe is long and it bends toward justice. I agree with Chris Hayes. He's right. The idea that the moral universe inherently bends towards justice is inspiring and wrong. For those of us living without the benefit of the bird's eye view of justice, lack the luxury of the bird's eye view. Those of us living lives are trapped in the reality of the now. One election cycle, cycle forward 50 years back. Must be very, very careful before quoting King by way of Parker. I would argue that even King would caution us against hanging our faith on his aspirational anthem. His own words affirm this. In that same sermon on March 31st, 1968 at the National Cathedral in Washington, DC, he dismisses the notion that justice will come eventually over a period of time, calling it a myth that we cannot afford to buy into as he warns us of the myth of time. He says, it is the notion that only time can solve the problem of racial injustice. And there are those who often sincerely say to the Negro and his allies in the white community, why don't you slow up? Stop pushing things so fast. Only time can solve the problem. And if you will just be nice and patient and continue to pray, in 100 or 200 years, the problem will work itself out. There is an answer to that myth. It is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. And I am sorry to say this morning that I am absolutely convinced that the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme rightists of our nation, the people on the wrong side have used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. The beauty of that quote is that you don't know where the quote ended and my sermon began. It sounds so similar to where we are today. What King is saying is that the immoral forces of hard work are hard at work bending their arc. Immoral forces are hard at work suppressing the voting rights of young people, poor people, and communities of color. Immoral forces are hard at work preventing the police state from being held accountable. Immoral forces are hard at work engineering financial systems that keep people poor. Immoral forces are hard at work launching culture wars about Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head that further tokenize communities of color and ostracize the trans community. Yes, the arc of the immoral universe is long and it bends toward injustice. And no, I'm not canceling King and Parker's divine aspiration. But what I'm saying is we can only appropriate his sacred words if we are employing his sovereign tactics. Let me say that again. We can only appropriate his sacred words if we are employing his sovereign tactics. tactics. The time to fight against voter suppression is today because we are one 
election cycle away from being an authoritarian state. The time to fight for the Equality Act is now in order to prevent one more black trans woman from being killed because she can't find housing or employment or healthcare. The time to fight against poverty is now because the relief we've seen this week is only temporary. The time is now to dismantle systems of white supremacy culture in our Unitarian Universalist congregations so that our faith communities might model the justice that we wish to see in the world. And yes, on this one year anniversary of Breonna Taylor's death, and as jurors are being selected in the George Floyd trial, the time to defund the police is now in order to prevent the killings of another George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. Today is the time to call our Senator and Congressperson. Today is the day to phone bank for the Equality Act and HR1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Today is the day to realign our budgets with movement. Today is the day to support organizations like Fair Fight, Black women leading the fight for equal access to the vote. Indeed, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it's up to us to bend it. Amen, Ashe, may it be so. Uh, Reverend Michael, it's really so exciting to get to sit down with you. Uh, I enjoyed both our preparation work, getting ready for the time for all ages, but I, I think I was really looking forward to, as I listened to your, your message today, getting to sit down and record this with you today. So thank you for being here. It's great to be here. This is exciting. I don't think I've done this after a sermon before, so I'm just, I'm just peachy right now. We like to, we like to do things different, and uh, here at Fourth Universalist, it's what we do. <laughs> so I found it really interesting that this was the, the theme for the week, given that this earlier this week, I was in a study group, we were talking about fascism, white supremacy in the US, mm -hmm. how, we, how, how we counter that. And, you know, the, the takeaway from one of the readings that we we're doing was that, you know, the revolution, the change, it, it doesn't like, people like to think that it's just like, these systems will fall, they're bad systems, mm -hmm. they're gonna fail. Mm -hmm. uh, and but that this revolution doesn't make itself, that we have to be uh, engaged in it. And so it was really wonderful when the, the message coincided so well with this other study that I was already doing this week. Yes, no, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I think that those are important conversations and it is so important to link up what we, you know, what we hear in, in the various um, spaces uh, that we navigate and Yes, I agree 100%. I think that um, our political education um, and our, you know, around movement is very, very uh, you know, light, if you will. Um, we hear things, I think, you know, we all know someone who is doing this over here and that over there, but there is a struggle to, to connect the things and um, personal freedom, I think has a lot to do with it you know, um, the need, the immediate needs that we all have, which white supremacy has created, you know, has added to, I mean, any, any human being is gonna have some, some level of responsibility that preoccupies our time from day to day. But I think that what 
what oppression, white supremacy culture um, kind of adds to that in one sense is this sense of overwhelmed and this attachment to the things that the revolution is working against. Right. I mean, you, would, you, would you even say that people are, are kind of a little afraid of revolution because it might, uh, of, of that radical change, maybe not revolution in a literal gun sense. I, I would like to clarify that for, uh, for, yeah. for our viewers, but you know, this, this change maybe scares them a little bit. It does. It does. I think enough of us, um, not a lot of us, but enough of us have benefited from, you know, uh, you know, neoliberalism, um, you know, capitalism. You know, I was thinking as I was building the sermon, I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I actually am more, um, you know, prosperous than my mother was and then her mother was. Um, and and so mm, like maybe, 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 you know, maybe it has been, maybe the arc has been, if you will. But then I realized that, that there, that I'm just being shuffled, that poverty, <laughs> poverty and wealth is being shuffled around, not necessarily eliminated and, 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 you know, inequitable. Um, so I am just, a, I'm just, a, I'm just a, a chess piece, <laughs> you know, I've moved in another space, but like a whole, lot of other people have moved in the other direction. And so uh, people are afraid. And what does that mean for me? Like, what does defunding the police me mean for me? Uh, I live in New York, I live in Harlem, you know, like, what if I have to call the police? And there's not, I think that, and it sounds silly, right? I haven't called the police in the seven years that I've lived here for anything, you know, haven't had to. My life is pretty, you know, but like, what if I have to? You know, so therefore, like, let's maintain this entire structure of, of, of bigotry and patriarchy and misogyny and all the things um, so, that I, so that I might be safe one day when I'm in danger, not realizing that I'm in danger every day. Right. Well, as you were talking about the, the shuffling, it actually uh, headed my brain in a whole different direction. I was thinking about when someone... Uh, finally really uh, explained gentrification in a way that like mm -hmm. finally just like cracked my brain wide open and I was like oh mm -hmm. but you know this I this idea that cities will be like oh we solved our homelessness problem but what they really did was they just kind of pushed it out of the city where everybody can't see it yeah uh -huh. exactly you know and or not we, even we out solved of the, the poverty can't see it, but just on a different block so that the one that most people are walking on is not on that block but it's yeah. over here on that block or underneath that bridge or underneath or in, but if you really talk to the people that are actually doing the work to, um, you know, eliminate homelessness, they know that it's still here. It's just not in our in in in, in our um, eyesight. Right. Uh, we like to we like to just move the problems away and not always mm -hmm. actually. Oh yeah. Uh, if I can pretend any, that, any... if I can pretend that it's not happening, you know, like right. you know, like you know, I mean, I get you know, I can just like a mask now becomes just. A, a, a cover for my lack of shaving like it like it doesn't mean that <laughs> I'm more groomed you know it, it's just a shuffling of the problem 
I will say I'm I'm not looking forward to to life without masks. I'm gonna have I to know. start caring more about my appearance again. <laughs> oh, the whole thing, like the whole thing of like you know comfy clothes inside all winter and snuggies and all the things that probably have just we've all been moving around as like zombies then. Right. Well, I suppose if we're thinking about COVID, it honestly seems like a a really great illustration of of your point that you know I think that COVID really shook people mm-hmm. as far as that they thought like, we're the, we're the best country. Like we can, we can handle this. Uh, but like, as somebody who had had issues in the American healthcare system, when I told friends while I was living abroad, I'm like, guys, the American healthcare system has got some big inequalities that are going to very much play into the hands of the pandemic. Oh and yeah. People didn't believe it, but, but you know, so like, um, it, it, you know, like, it's the the being in it versus this bird's eye that you're talking about. Like some people knew this was going to happen, whereas other people are like, yeah, our healthcare system's fine. We can deal with a pandemic. We're a rich country. Oh yeah, you know, like we, you know, and at the same time, wealth is not wealth. Wealth does not um, uh, eliminate the possibility of calamity. In a lot of ways, it exacerbates it. Um, um, and you know sometimes, you know, because not everybody has the money, not everybody has access to the wealth. The wealth is there, which is the sad part about it. It's not that we didn't have the resources to handle this better. It's that we didn't have the, the, the morality to handle it better. So going back to the title of the sermon, it's like, you know, immorality, like, you know, the arc of the immoral universe, like, um, and it's not about wealth. It's not that being wealthy is bad. Being wealth is actually good, but you have to have the morality to match it. In that same sermon, King talks about Lazarus and the rich man in the Bible. And it wasn't like, you know, um, it wasn't that the rich man was wrong because the rich man was addressing Abraham, who who materially was much richer than, than the rich man whom Abraham was talking to. For those of you who don't know, I'm speaking of the New Testament. Um, it's probably easier for you to find the King's speech on March 31st, 1968, for me to tell you the scriptures. Anyway, um, in King's point in that very sermon was that wealth um, linked with immorality is what's bad, not necessarily uh, wealth in and of itself. And so we as a country are faced with how to use our resources. And this inability, this, this lack of willingness to actually weaponize our wealth to 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 distinguish to extinguish po- poverty um and and oppression and racism is immoral and 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 it's immoral not because we want it's more and more because we have the resources to do it so um ugh. well and you you mentioned uh for me I don't, it might have might have been a passing line for you in your writing but for me it, it really resonated because you mentioned that the immoral forces are very organized and it and it brought me back to thinking about growing up in very right-wing, very evangelical, very fundamentalist uh, mm-hmm. Christianity circles and how mm-hmm. organized they were in this indoctrination that like everybody's out to get you and teach you evolution and that everything's wrong. And, you know, if you listen to them, you're going to go to hell. And like, it's such, it, it's, it's a very active organizing uh, against progress that is being made. Like it's not that, People aren't sitting back and and, and waiting. Um, they, exactly. they went their way. You know, I, like you, I moved in those circles for years. Most of my twenties, actually, I, I was uh, 
uh, I'm a student of white evangelicalism. I uh, graduated from from a, a school uh, that's very conservative, uh, and from my undergrad. And you're right, very very organized. And I think a lot of it has to do with their theology. I think that hell is a motivator uh, for a lot of people. And you know, when you talk, you know, their their fear of all, they're taught to fear all the things that we, um, you know have have uh you know adopted as justice and and for them it's the inverse so even the even the you know and so but that it doesn't mean that you have to have hell in order to be motivated towards justice um and knowledge obviously isn't the key right because we know a lot of people know we're a very academic movement uh progressive liberalism is i just i just think that it's um it's it's about conviction, though, and it's really about urgency. I think that when folks really, really understand what's at stake, we get mobilized. But by then, oftentimes, it's too late. Like right now, everybody is really, really angry about what is happening in the voting laws across the country. But yet, we don't have we don't we don't have the luxury of time anymore because we went we spent so much time not being aware. And so, um, the left, the right, is very, very, very mobilized and. The segment of the sermon that you're mentioning is a is is me quoting King's sermon, but it was a long quote, and um, and even I, as I was preaching it, got a little lost in where the quote ended and my sermon began. And I think that that speaks to the um, the 50 year um, overlay, the the 50 year overlay of what was happening in the 60s. With what what's happening uh, in our politics and our in our social systems today? Definitely, oh, so many things to 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 hit on there. Um, and particularly, I I wonder um, as I think about the the many people see that like progress is just this inevitable thing. Uh, I feel like those of us that who've moved progressive from that more uh, evangelical worldview did perhaps bring with us our. Uh, our, uh, I dare say like a theology of evil that we, mm -hmm. we expect the worst out of people sometimes. Uh, and so that we, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be the case that the problem's gonna automatically go away on its own. I remember when I was a teenager, everybody be like, oh, the, the next generation, like it'll be better once the it'll millennials are, yeah. You know, it, 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 time isn't neutral. Like it's not just gonna and, happen And there's on a way own. in which it's true, right? I mean, I, like, I, like I was mentioning, we were having a, a brief conversation before. I mean, there is a way in which my own, you know, I am better off than my mother who was better off than their grandmother. But there are a lot of my siblings or nephews who aren't like, and so I can be, dis you know, I can be deceived by the myths, if you will, that because I, my life is better, that, that things are better. And, and you're right. I think that um, those of us who are from you know communities at risk we we are more aware if you will of what evil is it's because we know people that are still dying we know people that are still suffering we are we are connected to pain in a way that makes the threat real and we see it and so many of us are siloed off which is why i think that relationships with communities of color relationship with communities at risk trans communities uh, disability communities uh, are 
the key to understanding, to keeping our ear to the ground as to what uh, is really happening in the lives. And recently, you know, the our the, the the sunglasses have been taken off and people are saying the quiet part out loud so that now it's it's more than ever uh uh we're conscious of what's going on so maybe kind of as a as a final direction to take this uh you know at the beginning you talked about like uh varying challenges that, that we are facing and things that we should be working to address now that you mm-hmm. don't have the the time constraints of having to make it fit into a sermon what are what are some actions that you'd really encourage people to be uh, taking, you know, issues that they need to be aware of and working on? Like, what, uh, how, how do we get to work doing, doing this work of, of bending, bending a different curve than the COVID curve? I do think, um, you know, I think one of the most vital things is for us to do is um, really do, do some institutional self-reflection. I think that the way our congregations our, our being is uh, again mimicking systems of oppression and capitalism rather than than being uh, than being examples of what um, beloved community looks like. Um, our finances are invested in you know in the stock market a lot of times. Our endowments are. Our um, structures are very uh, you know um, mimic the corporate culture. Um, our services mimic the institutional establishment hegemonically. And so I really, my dream is if we all would, um, in essence, uh, this is going to sound weird, but for, but move, move away from this like finger wagging liberalism that, that, uh, locates white supremacy out there and really, really begin to say what does reparations look like in our institution? What does multiculturalism feel like in our institutions? What does it look like to restructure our budgets in a way that is equitable? What does it look like to reimagine our worship less as siloed um, spiritual homes and more as a network of of institutions committed to a movement of, of um, anti-fascism, revolution, you know, anti-militarization, anti-poverty, where, where we're just really, really much more in concert with that so that the world that we um, seek to live into is the world that we're already um, uh, have already appropriated in our, in our, in our congregations, in our institutions. I think that's a, a beautiful charge for, for our <laughs> listeners to take with them. So Reverend Michael, thanks so much for joining for this uh, video slash audio podcast with me today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's amazing. Mm-hmm.